You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1171 of Locked On Hawks Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday late afternoon into the early evening. And today's podcast is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out prizepix.com. Use the promo code MBA. Go to the App Store, download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show, we'll catch up on a lot, of, a lot of different things in Hawksland, some news at the top of the episode, as well as some mailbag questions and answers, and look at how the East is looking right now, as the Hawks have 32 games remaining on their schedule, and then we'll end up with a preview of the Thursday night national TV showdown between the Hawks and the Phoenix Suns, the hottest team in the NBA, and the best team in the NBA this year, so a very nice test for the Hawks, and we'll get into that at the end of the show, but please subscribe to this podcast, tell a friend, and welcome aboard if you're a new listener, we are glad to have you. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for keeping uh, us as your first listen each and every day. So we'll dive in now here, obviously a little bit quiet on the news front, which is not a bad thing. The deadline uh, for trades in the NBA is actually next Thursday, so we're only eight days away or so, but no real momentum on that front right now for the Hawks. Um, in, fa- in fact, the headline, if you want to say that, uh, is kind of a quiet one in terms of news, but Jalen Johnson and Shreve Cooper are back with College Park as of Tuesday. Um, the Skyhawks play on Friday, so no surprise there. The Hawks have been very healthy recently, which is, of course, a good thing, but the two rookies have not been able to play really much at all, and the Skyhawks didn't play. Actually, they had one game in about 10 or 11 days, so it uh, makes sense to have them kind of go back and forth at times, as I've discussed previously on the show. There is some value, I will always stress, in having Jalen and Sharif around the big league club as well. Um, Sharif being around Trey, being around Lou Williams, etc. Jalen Johnson having the opportunity to kind of shadow, uh, see guys what they can do, also just practice with these guys as well. So there is some value there, but they also want to get some court time for those guys. There's been some improvement this year along the uh, along the way, of course, in the G League from both Joe and John Sanchez and Cooper. So just a little bit of a uh, newskeeping kind of thing there at the top of the podcast, but that's kind of the only thing that's actually happened uh, in terms of uh, quote-unquote news in the last day and a half or so. Um, there was close to some news with Trey Young. He was a nominee for Eastern Conference Player of the Month for January. And honestly, he had a resume worthy of winning the award, although Joel Embiid was pretty ridiculous in January, so it was not like it was a snub for Trey. But he was nominated, and rightly so. He averaged 28 points and 9 assists per game with a 61% true shooting. That's obviously excellent. So uh, shout-outs to Trey for being even nominated and being in the mix there. But the Sixers were hot, and also Embiid was very, very good in that month. So uh, no, no real shade in not actually winning that award for Trey Young. As I said a second ago, it's kind of quiet on the trade rumor front for Atlanta at this point in time. I did spend a full show last week with Andrew Kelly, front of the podcast from Peachtree Hoops, talking about trade stuff. And honestly, since then, nothing's really changed. That doesn't mean that the Hawks couldn't make a move. They still could. We're eight days away, and often there's kind of a flurry closer to the deadline. You know, get into next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm sure it'll be busier, and it will surprise me if the Hawks do not have at least some rumors around them, but the chatter has quieted a little bit as the Hawks have been winning games. Not a huge surprise, honestly. If you go back to 2017, when I started this podcast, I guess the first season, I started this podcast in July of 2016, but at the deadline in January, February of 2017, the Hawks were really scuffling. That was a pretty brutal team to watch with Dwight Howard and Paul Millsap, his final season in Atlanta, and they were probably going to trade Paul Millsap, and then, they, and they, then the Hawks won five games in a row right as the deadline was approaching, and they ended up not trading him. Now, this team is more exciting and better than that team was, so don't get me wrong, 
But uh, as soon as the Hawks had the huge kind of flurry of rumors around Ben Simmons and Jeremy Grant and John Collins and all that stuff, then they won seven out of eight, seven games in a row and now seven out of eight. So uh, sometimes when you win, the chatter gets quiet. So not a huge surprise to me, but we'll have uh, more on that in the future if anything comes to mind. But honestly, I'm not sure what's going to happen. If I had to guess right now, I'm actually be a pretty quiet deadline for Atlanta if they keep winning, but I uh, still have a week plus to go on that front. In fact, the only thing that was actually even kind of close to a new nugget came from Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype. Mike is uh, actually used to be at The Athletic, is very plugged in. And he noted, uh, kind of in passing, that the Hawks are one of the teams that has liked Josh Hart from afar. Hart is, the, uh, is a wing from the Pelicans via Villanova, a player that I certainly have liked, but honestly, not even really a rumor. It was kind of barely anything that he mentioned. Um, he is a quality wing, 26-year-old, and actually has a really interesting contract for the basketball cap nerds among us. He has $12 million this year and then actually has back-to-back seasons of fully non-guaranteed deals with early guarantee dates of $13 million for next year and $13 million for the final season. But it's kind of a weird one there. And the Pelicans have some strange incentives. They, they seem to want to buy almost right now to make the playoffs, but they're also in this rebuilding mode. Zion's been hurt, etc. But I think that the Hawks could get Josh Hart for a reasonable price. Sign me up. I've always liked him a lot. He's the efficient player on offense. Good rebounder, good defender, good passer, kind of does all the little things for you and also makes some shots. So um, he'd be interesting to be sure. They have to send some real money out to get him, whether it be you know Bogey uh, or DeLon Wright or Gallinari, someone with some real heft on their salary. And uh, I'm not sure if that was going to happen, but something to keep an eye on because at least it was a real reporter that mentioned him in passing for the Hawks. But we'll leave that there for now. That kind of tells you about how quiet things have actually been if that rose to the level of people at least asking me about it because it made it to the Hoops Hype page. So uh, people were asking me about Josh Hart, and that's all I have there is that I, I think he'd be interesting on the Hawks, but we will see if there's any actually more uh, more fire to the smoke. Okay, we'll dive into some mailbag stuff now. I'm going to do one question before the first break, at least, maybe, maybe two. But this is actually kind of newsy and after what happened on Tuesday. So the question actually came before Tuesday, but the question came from Lucky, and they asked, do the Hawks have a chance at a second All-Star? And if not... Will Ndeke Kongwu at least make the Rising Stars? So, if you're a Hawks fan, you probably know this by now, but Kongwu did not make the Rising Stars, which we'll come back to in a second. But the first part of that was about the second All-Star. And honestly, I would be pretty stunned if the Hawks had a second All-Star at this point, just because of the buzz out there. You kind of, I cover the whole league for Dime and other places, and you can kind of see what the uh, what the short lists are of All-Star candidates, and basically none of them include another Hawk. Now, I will say Collins and Capella both have pretty good marks in the advanced metrics community, like the all-in-one catch-all metrics, you know, the EPM, Raptor, BPM, all that kind of stuff. In fact, Andy Bailey at Bleacher Report, a numbers guy over there, did sort of an average or a composite of the top 10 or so advanced metrics, and both Collins and Capella were in the top 40 in the NBA this year, not just the East. So in theory, if you chop that in half, it makes like top 20 in the East, and basically that means you should almost be a pretty interesting all-star candidate. But the lack of counting stats for Capella, the lack of huge counting stats for Collins is still very, very nice and efficient. He's been very, very good this year, but they don't really have that profile. Plus, the Hawks are not winning a ton of games. If the Hawks were, I don't know, 30 and 20 right now, instead of where they are, 24 and 26, you might get some more buzz for second All-Star. You see that with the Cavs this year. The Cavs have a really impressive record, and that, as, as a result of that, you hear a lot about Darius Garland and Evan Mobley even as a rookie and Jared Allen, whereas if they were 25 to 25, None of them maybe make the All-Star team. So worth, worth noting that definitely uh, team record matters in that instance. So honestly, that's probably the reason why Trey didn't make it last year. As crazy as that was, and I rant, ranted about that all last year, if the Hawks had started their run like two weeks earlier, Trey almost certainly would have made the All-Star team, as crazy as that is. But anyway, 
I'm going to guess no on that. It's not absolutely impossible, but I would be pretty surprised if the Hawks got a second All-Star. And if they did, I would probably guess it would be Collins, but we will see if that actually comes to pass. Um, as for Kongwu, as I said before, he didn't get in to the Rising Stars. I wasn't totally shocked, but I was a little bit surprised, and I think that he should have gotten there. Um, Rising Stars... Uh, snubs is not like a huge uh, beef of mine. Like it's not that important of a thing. They play, um, and actually there's a new format this year where there's 12 rookies, 12 sophomores, and four G League Night players. They're going to have four teams. But regardless, uh, Okongwu is very clearly one of the top 12 second year players in the league. That's not even up for debate in my mind. In fact, there probably aren't even four or five guys that I'd rather have than him in that class. But here's the big thing. He only played 18 of 50 games to begin the season. And I assume... Again, this is an assumption that that's the reason why he didn't make this team because any other reason doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, he is definitely better than at least a handful of the guys who made the roster. I'm not going to do the entire list, but um, Precious Achua has a 46% true shooting on the list. That's for one. Um, guys like Sadiq Bey had a slow start to the season. Isaac Okoro has kind of struggled a little bit, even though he's a local product, etc. I'm not going to pile on a ton. That's got to be the reason, though, in my mind. Um, I thought that he still would make it, honestly, even with that limited sample size, because A, he was a lottery pick, which always helps you in Rising Stars, and B, he's been really good when he plays, and the numbers are really good when he plays for the team and for himself. So I'm not like outraged by this, but he should have been there. I said as much on Twitter, and I think he is definitely a top 12 sophomore. So a year from now, two years from now, um, you know, it, it's going to look insane if anybody remembers this, that uh, guys like Precious like Achua were, were on this team and, you know, and Okongwu was not. But, um, yeah, I think it has to do with him not playing a ton. But that kind of answers that. Um, there's a chance that Trey does three-point shooting or something like that. Or maybe they get someone in the dunk contest with John has been there before, etc. But it could be just Trey Young in the All-Star Weekend festivities among Hawks guys. That's at least possible. And we'll cover that as it, as it unfolds as the uh, reserves are selected, I believe, Thursday evening on TNT. Um, from there, we'll get to more mailbag questions. And I promise you there are three or four, maybe even five more we'll get to, plus some uh, Eastern Conference talk and a preview of Hawks Suns later in the show. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Prize Picks. NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is super easy to use. You pick two to five players and an over on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. And entries can be made in under a minute or less. It's just that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals if you use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. There are a variety of options at Prize Picks as well. They offer props on anything that you can think of from points to rebounds, even steals. And they even have mixed sports entries when you go across sports. If you're not just an NBA fan like I am, uh, I kind of cross over to all kinds of sports, and you can do that at Prize Picks as well. They have college basketball, college football, NFL, MLB, soccer, MMA, and much more. For a limited time, all users at Prize Picks can take advantage of the exclusive no-brainer of an offer. You get $50 for free, but player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point, but you have to use the promo code NBA. That's right, this is an exclusive offer available for locked on fans. Sign up today, use the promo code NBA, $50 for free, if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show is also brought to you by TurboTax. People think that unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that is what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you're invested in crypto for the first time this year, or if you own an up-and-coming small business, or if you're raising rambunctious twins. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer all of your tax questions, walk through the entire process, or do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction that you deserve, no matter your unique situation, and you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or your computer without leaving your house. 
TurboTax Live experts are always here to help you however you need, and if you need an extra hand, hand your taxes off to them, and they'll do the entire thing for you. For TurboTax Live experts, interesting life can mean even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing, they've got your taxes, and to it, TurboTax Live. All right, we'll dive more into the mailbag now, and the next question comes from David, who asks, now that he's getting more, more valuable minutes at the 1, 2, and 3, plus he's winning over more fans than just you, do you think that it's likely that the Hawks bring back DeLon Wright? In David's mind, he says he's close to a perfect fit with this team given his Swiss, Swiss Army Knife toolkit. So, uh, interestingly, I've thought about this a little bit, as you might imagine, as a DeLon Wright advocate, but he's making about $8.5 million this year, and he's an expiring contract, so no guarantee that he's back on a contractual standpoint. He made about $9 million a year on his last, contra- on his last contract. I'd probably guess the under on that for his next contract. He'll be 30 in April. Um, not going to have huge counting stats. This year he's playing a little bit less, although he's been playing more recently since the uh, um, sort of tweak the rotation the Hawks did. And the league does know, though, that he is a good quality bench option at guard, either guard spot, really. And he's been a quality guard in the rotation for several teams and for several years now. So there's some safety with the Lon Wright, for sure. I would say... Ultimately, it comes down to price because the Hawks will be dealing with some tax issues. I'm going to do a deeper look at the salary cap situation for the Hawks probably next week in, in advance of the trade alarm, maybe either that, or, either that or afterwards, one of the two. But in short, the Hawks have a lot of money guaranteed to guys next year. In fact, uh, in only guaranteed contracts for next season, they already have uh, almost $130 million committed to only eight guys. That's $10 million over the cap with eight players. So there are some money questions. I'm not going to say issues or you know problems just yet, but certainly some questions on that side. That also assumes Trey Young not being all NBA could go even up for more. And honestly, I'm, I'm going to guess they probably will be more than that for Trey. And then there's a Gallo factor as well. So without going into all of that stuff, money's going to be a, a question mark. And you know maybe DeLon prices himself out if he plays well. But I would say just in terms of removing all the money aspects, I think he would definitely make sense to bring back as a relatively solid slash cheap backup guard option. He's definitely versatile as the question gets into. It might come down, honestly, to what they think about Sharif Cooper next season. He's on a two-way contract, but if they think that he's ready for a bigger role, then you can kind of cut salary elsewhere. Like Lou Williams, I think, will probably retire after this year. That's $5 million off the books, um, at least from this year. But, um, you know, with DeLon, I think we've probably seen this, that you want to go into the season with another another guy who could probably play a little bit more of a shot creator role at point guard behind Trey, and maybe that's Sharif. Uh, obviously, this year it's Lou. And for Nate, you know, DeLon can play the one. He can play the two. He can play defense. Etc. He's a very valuable piece, but it's too early to kind of figure out exactly what's going to happen with DeLon Wright, but I think that it's definitely, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back, for sure. They seem to like him around the team. He's a very uh, Nate McMillan kind of player in terms of his defense and his versatility and all that fun and all that fun stuff, and he's also beloved in the locker room. So uh, I'll leave it there for now, but I think he would certainly make, sense, make some sense, I should say, to bring him back if the price is right. Uh, get that? That's kind of a pun. Uh, <laughs> moving on from there, um, question from the therapist MS on Twitter who says, in spite of the team's winning ways, would you consider making a trade deadline deal for Gary Trent Jr.? I've always felt that he was a good fit with Trey and his salary matches with Bogdanovich. So maybe Bogdanovich, uh, TLC or Knox, plus a couple of picks. Okay. Um, I'm not picking on the question, but it's kind of funny because Trent has uh, obviously had a huge game against the Hawks on Monday uh, before this this question was asked. And also he's on a really hot streak right now. He actually has 30 points or more in five straight games for Toronto. I'm not sure he's even available. I'm sure he's available on some level. But an interesting guy for sure. Um, a decent contract, $16 million a year for this year, 17 for next year, and then a player option for 18 and a half the year after that that he might opt out of. 
it's a pretty solid contract for him, honestly. And Toronto is not likely going to part ways with him without a pretty good value coming back because they're playing well right now. The Raptors are kind of uh, quietly and playing a weird brand of basketball, but still playing well. He's kind of their only guy at the two as well. They have a bunch of combo forward types, but Trent's really their primary two this season. He's a really good shooter, like 39% for his career from three on real volume. That is the way that he scores. And honestly, if I'm being blunt, that's kind of all he does, to be honest with you. Not in a terrible way. He's not a terrible defender. He's not a terrible like guy in other stuff. But his one main appeal slash strength is his perimeter shooting and shot creation. Um, long story short, I don't think he's a great defender. I think he's just okay. He's like a one-position guy at the two. And the question was about Bogdanovich plus two picks maybe for Trent, and that would be a, a pretty serious overpay in my mind. Honestly, last season, I mean, if you asked me six months ago who was better between McDonough and Trent, I would have said McDonough, which tells you kind of all you need to know about that. I think Bogey, if you assume, let's just say, that Bogey is going to be a reduced form of himself, and he's been better recently, but if you say if you assume he's reduced from last year, then it makes more sense to try to upgrade that spot. But the Hawks already invested in Kevin Herter, who's also kind of a one-position player at the two. Trent is a one-position player as well. Like he's even he's even smaller than Herter is. For, I mean, Herter's not small, but just kind of you know slender and frame all that stuff. So I can't really see the Hawks paying up for a pure two that's not a star. Like if it's Bradley Beal, sure, but Gary Trent's not Bradley Beal, obviously. So. I think that you could certainly argue that Trent is a better asset than Magdanovich because it's a you know it's only a two year contract, but he's a little bit younger than Bogey. He's healthier than Bogey right now. Um, you know, he's definitely more productive this year. But I would not trade two picks, that's for sure. And I think I'd be surprised if that's kind of where they landed. You know, there are always deals that come out of nowhere around the NBA, and the Hawks might trade for someone that I'd never thought of. But there's a priority. I don't think he'd be the biggest priority. Like he definitely help would help the offense. But the Hawks are pretty good on offense already, as it is. So I'm not putting on the question because it's not it's not it's not crazy at all. But I, I will say bogey plus two picks would be way too much. Maybe bogey plus a pick wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I also don't know why Toronto would do that given where they are right now. So that's kind of the quick answer to that one. And before we get to the rest of the show, with regard to uh, a look at the East at the end of the podcast, a quick preview now of Hawks Suns on Thursday. TNT game, obviously a marquee spot for the Hawks and even for the Suns on national TV. A, a couple of advantages for the Hawks. A rest advantage as Phoenix played on Tuesday. Also home court for the Hawks. And Phoenix had to travel cross-country after the game on Tuesday. So that's a couple of nice little edges that are small for Atlanta. The Suns are awesome. Best team in the league this year. They're 41-9. and That is the best record in the league by a few games. They are on an 11-game winning streak. That speaks for itself. They are 19-4 and on the road. That's number one in the league as well. So they won't be phased by the trip to Atlanta. Um, they're number two in net rating. They're top five in offense, top five in defense. They're not perfect. They have some shortcomings, like um, rim pressure on offense, not their biggest strength in the world. Rebounding is not a huge strength of theirs as well. And then a free throw creation on offense. But on, on, on defense, they're great at great creating turnovers. They're great at avoiding them on offense. They also have great shooting profiles on offense and defense this year. And they're really good at, pre at preventing free throw attempts. So all kinds of strengths, of course. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, etc. They are a talented, well-coached, deep team. Um, there is um, worth noting that DeAndre Aiden's been battling some injuries recently. He's actually listed as probable for Phoenix in the game with a right ankle sprain. Jake Crowder's listed as probable as well, so those guys I expect to play. Campaign is out, and so is Landry Shamit on their backcourt. It's a little bit weaker there for Phoenix, but they've been banged up the entire uh, winning streak, honestly, and they keep winning anyway. Um, on the Hawks side, DeAndre Hunter is listed as probable with the same right ankle discomfort that he was having recently. And Trey Young is listed as questionable with the right shoulder contusion that he missed the game with on Monday. Uh, no contact for Trey at practice today. Uh, he did some shooting, but um, very minor stuff for him. So a true game time decision appears. Uh, McMillan said that. Of course, I've made fun of that in the past. Nate loves 
loves loves at game time decision. He always tells everyone that it's kind of funny to, to sort of declare that, uh, you know, a day and a half in advance, but uh, that's what the Hawks seem to be doing. And so, as far as anybody that's questionable, it's going to be the answer. But Trey then told Chris Kirchner um, that it was too early to say if he could play the, if he could play on Thursday as of Wednesday afternoon. His shoulder is still giving him some issues. He only took a few shots at practice. So um, not a ton of positive stuff there from Trey, but obviously he, he's sort of a, a gutty guy, and I'm sure he wants to play in a TNT game. At some point, if he's not able to play, they'll have to step in and make him not play, of course. And uh, I would say you know long-term concerns are more important than short-term concerns with regard to the face of the franchise. So if there's any question at all, always default to him not playing. But uh, we'll see what happens between now and Thursday evening. But uh, no betting line right now because of Trey Young's uh, absence, or at least potential absence, for Atlanta. After I missed the game on Monday, I'm sure the betting market's going to be a little bit cautious. Our friends at Bet Online will not be uh, running to put a number up without knowing the Trey's status. But we, we probably won't know that for a while. It might be Thursday night before tip-off before we know anything about Trey Young. I'll say this, you know, the Hawks, in terms of, like, whether this is a – a winnable spot, surely, sure, surely it is. The Hawks are at home in this game. They can beat the Suns. Um, the Suns will probably be favored, I would imagine, because they have been awesome this year. Um, but a nice measuring stick, for sure. The Hawks didn't play great on Monday, and they still almost won anyway, which was uh, sort of a positive, and if you want to spin it that way. We'll get into the East in a second after a break to talk about where, where the Hawks stand, stack up right now. But regardless, this is a game that you certainly want to win, but it's also a first of a back-to-back. They have to travel to Toronto after this, so... A split on Thursday and Friday would be a pretty positive result in my mind. A sweep would be incredible, given the uh, the tough task of having to travel plus playing Phoenix. But uh, we'll get into all that later on. But certainly a nice test, and we'll have a new podcast after the game on Thursday. All right, before we get to the look ahead to the Eastern Conference and how it all stacks up and how the Hawks projections are sitting, etc., a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Bill Bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy. Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar... Every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home or your pantry or in the office or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, mint brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. All right, and I got a lot of questions about the Hawks placement in the East, and the play-in race and the top six and the top eight and the top ten and I kind of put, I'm going to kind of combine them all into this final segment on the podcast because um, it's interesting. Obviously, the Hawks just won seven games in a row before losing on Monday. That made up a lot of ground. Going from 17 and 25 to 24 and 26 is uh, notable. Let's just say, and they kind of had to do that to get into a more favorable position because it was looking pretty dire in the projections just eight games ago. Regardless, though, the Hawks are 24 and 26. They're 50 games. They're number 10 in the East. I record this on Wednesday night before the games start, by the way, on Wednesday in the early evening portion of the podcast. Um, they're a half game ahead of the Knicks 
um, for 11th, and they're two games behind the Celtics for 9th. So they're kind of slotted in there at 10. They're five games back of the Brooklyn Nets for number six. Now, that's not a small margin for a team like Brooklyn who is good, but they have been banged up. Kevin Durant's still hurt. Harden's been banged up. Kyrie's only playing half the time, etc. And 32 games to go. So I'll say this, like you have to be a lot better than the other team um, to be projected to overcome a five-game deficit in 32 games, and the Hawks are not a lot better than the, than the Nets. But um, that kind of tells you what they have to do. Now, it's not only the, only the uh, Nets, by the way, that are in range. Cleveland is six and a half games, and they're the team that everybody's kind of circled as the potential team that, w- that might fall off. Chicago had a little bit of a dry spell, and they've won some games as well. Milwaukee's banged up, but they're still Milwaukee. So no obvious, like, definite team to target. I would say, you know, Cleveland and Brooklyn, if they keep having injuries, are the ones for me. But we sort of examined some projection systems, I don't know, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I was higher than all of them, basically, on the show that day. It talks about how I thought the Hawks were still going to make the play-in uh, when, it, when, that, when that was not exactly a popular opinion, um, to be honest with you. I've always kind of seen some optimism on this roster. And there was one model that was higher than the rest. That was the 538 Raptor model. And basically what the 538 model does, uh, at least the Raptor model, takes the players and the roster into account. They go they go deeper with their player projections, whereas most of the systems are using the data of what the team has done this year and the schedules and all that stuff, whereas they're driving, they're sort of drilling down a little bit further on this Raptor model going with the player projections. And honestly, if you look at the roster, the Hawks roster, available roster, is better than their record. That's not even a controversial statement. They're just better than their record so far. So from there, they are the highest, uh, at least they were two weeks ago, and now they're still the highest on the Hawks. I strongly believe the Hawks are still better than, and more talented than the record this year, and I ended up being more in line with them as a result of that. At the moment, they project, 530, 530th Raptor model projects a 43-39 and 39 record for the Hawks that would tie with the Hornets for the 9 spot in the East. Uh, just for some context, to get to 43 wins, which may not sound like a lot, they have to go 19-13 and 13 down the stretch. Now, that's a 49-win pace. 19-13 is a 49-win pace, which is basically exactly what I projected for the Hawks this year. I had them for 50-ish wins uh, coming into the season. Um, and, you know, that simple. 32 games, play at that pace, and you get to 43 wins. Uh, I will say this. Um, to actually get there, um, that means the Hawks would have had to uh, go 26-14 and 14 in their last 40 uh, that's, you know, interesting, just because if you factor in the last seven out of the eight, that's that's a pretty hot stretch, to, to say the least. But still, that's definitely attainable, and 43 wins is not out of the ordinary. I'm sure some Hawks fans might even be a little bit higher than that, but that is the highest projection that I can find right now in the public space is 43 wins for the Hawks. 538's other model, their ELO model, which covers more results-based, they have the Hawks at 40 and 42, and number 10 in the East. ESPN's BPI model has the Hawks at 39 and 43, and number 10 in the East. Team rankings has the Hawks at about 41 and 41 at number 10 in the East. Basketball reference has their playoff probability model. They have the Hawks at 40 and 42, but they are the only projection that I know of in public that has actually a seed by seed projection. And they're only giving the Hawks a 3.3% chance to be in the top six. Um, That's pretty low, but also not crazy when you factor in again, they're five games out of that with 32 games to play. And they do have the the Hawks having a 64% chance to make the play-in. I might even be a little bit higher than that, honestly, but that seems uh, relatively reasonable to me. Also, our friends at BetOnline have some betting odds that I want to get out there for some context. They're plus 850, the Hawks are, to win the Southeast Division. Miami has a pretty big lead on the Hawks, so no, no surprise there. They're the huge favorite, and Charlotte's also in the mix in, the, in that run as they're actually ahead of the Hawks right now. Um, the Hawks are 20-1 to to win the East. 
That's actually not bad odds for where they are. Um, ironically, the Hawks have better odds to win the East and the championship than Cleveland. And Cleveland is six and a half games ahead of the Hawks right now. So that basically just means the, the market's not really buying the Cavs as a contender just yet, which I don't blame them for. Um, and the Hawks also have better odds in the East than Boston, Charlotte, and Toronto, all of which are better, uh, at least in, in terms of the standings, than the Hawks right now. And Atlanta is 40-1 to 1 to win the actual NBA title this year, which is actually, given where they are in the standings, that's pretty decent respect for the Hawks. If, you, uh, if you're familiar with the stuff, as I am, uh, you don't often see a, a, a team through 50 games that's sub 500 and still only 40 to 1 when they're not even in the playoffs right now. So that's some pretty decent respect for the Hawks as a long term property. Now, last thing here before we get out of here on this Wednesday evening and get into uh, Thursday and some back to back action Thursday and Friday. Um, not an exact science here, but somebody asked me today, sort of as an offshoot in the final part of this answer, to sort of what it would take for the Hawks to get into the top six and get out of the plan entirely. Um, number one would have been having a better start than this, which is unfortunate for the Hawks. But a lot of the damage has been done with, with this 7-1 stretch. That's definitely helpful. Um, this question would have been a lot more difficult a few, day, a few days and weeks ago. But now it's more attainable. As I said before, basketball reference gives them like a you know, sub-5% chance. That's pretty low. But I think that there is a chance, for sure, that a team at the top, whether it be Cleveland or a team that gets an injury or Brooklyn just keeps you know straddling this, uh, this downward trend with their player issues and all that stuff, um, there's a chance that somebody like that and B gets hurt, whatever you want to say, uh, falls off. Um, that's in play. I'm not going to project that, but it only takes one. That kind of what you that would definitely increase your odds to get in the top six. But I would say this: I think my answer is that the Hawks probably need to go something like 22 and 10, maybe 23 and 9, maybe even 24 and 8, something like that, to get into the top six. That is not impossible. Of course, famously, the Hawks finished the last season at 27 and 11. That's how they went from out of the play-in to getting into that four-five matchup against uh, against New York. So that is interesting. It does get a little bit tougher when you realize that they just won seven of eight. So if you want to be a little bit like more covering your eyes, um, if they were to go like I just said, twenty-two and ten or twenty-three and nine, that means they'd have to go twenty-nine and eleven or thirty and ten the last forty, which is not impossible. We've seen them do it, but it's going to take quite a lot to get in the top six. I'm not going to tell you that's impossible. I think it is a actually a higher chance than the one projection that we have. Basketball Reference would give the Hawks. But they're going to need some help, um, you know, start rooting against teams that are in the top six, particularly teams that are more vulnerable, vulnerable, I should say, at this point in time. But for me, the more uh, realistic slash attainable projection that's more about what the Hawks are doing is to get in the home court in the play-in mix. That's been, I'd be, that's a more realistic goal. I'm not saying the Hawks shouldn't be trying to win every game. They obviously should be. But from an um, observational, analytical perspective, it is far more likely and more realistic that the Hawks would be like seven or eight in the standings, and there is a big advantage to being seven or eight in the standings. Um, you know, you're still you're still in the plan, which is uh, certainly some high drama and uh, low margin for error. But if you're nine or ten, you got to go on the road and win twice. That's uh, tough for sure. So we'll get into all that as we need to. If Hawks, you know, the Hawks last year, I, I had prepared I prepared all this play and material, and then didn't have to use it because the Hawks got so hot. But this year, that might happen again. They've already started kind of making their run. But I will say, in terms of, like, most likely scenario, at this point in time, it is February 2nd, I would project the Hawks to finish something like 7th or 8th in the Eastern Conference. I, I, could not, I cannot, with a straight face, project them to be in the top six because it just takes the Hawks being extremely hot and somebody else cooling off. Again, that is very possible. But in terms of what I'm picking right now, I would say 7 or 8 seed in the East. And uh, given where they were at 8 games under 500. Uh, after 42 games, that would be a pretty heck of a, it'd be a, a pretty strong close 
for the Hawks to get to seven or eight, they got to st- st- still close very, very strongly in the second half of the season. So no shame in that, but we'll cover that as we get to it. And uh, that's going to be it for today's podcast. So please subscribe to the podcast. Number one, tell your friends as well. Listen to the archive, click around in there, check out old podcasts. Um, there's still very relevant stuff on the, on the feed, including that Andrew Kelly conversation that I had to uh, a two part episode last week, Tower Jones in recent days as well. We'll have full coverage of the trade, trade deadline coming up in the near future. And also have a back to back on Thursday and Friday. So I'll have a podcast after the game Thursday, and then we'll go into the Friday back to back. I'll have another podcast after the game on Friday, very, very busy. And then they're on the road actually, finally after a long, long time uh, starting Friday and then they, and on Sunday as well. So some road game coverage to come on the show and uh, oh yeah, last thing, please follow the show on Twitter. If you're a Twitter person um, and you're not following the show, it's definitely useful to do that to get links and all that fun stuff. Occasionally, I'll tweet my own thoughts from there as well at Locked On Hawks. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Thank you one more time for listening to the podcast and subscribing. And we'll see you after the game on Thursday. <laughs>